Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should tune in to today's show. U.S. senators are working up a new bill to crack down on crypto money laundering. Plus, Kathy Wood adds more Coinbase shares to ARK Invest, a surprising move as given the stock price hitting all-time lows. And we also have Benjamin Cohen, founder and CEO of Into the Cryptoverse, to give us his view on the markets. So we have a really exciting episode for you today. My name is Mark Oliveira. Ash Bangton is with me today. How's it going, Ash? Mark, it's going great. It's good to be back with you. Yeah, it's great to be back with you. For our viewers, if you're watching on the Real Vision website, thank you. If you haven't signed up there yet, check it out on, at realvision.com forward slash crypto. We have a ton of crypto content. And if you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. Let's jump into the latest price action, Ash. So Bitcoin has cooled off since yesterday. It's currently sitting around $17,400, down around 2% over the past 24 hours. This, this could, of course, be a result of yesterday's move by the Fed. Uh, they announced an interest rate hike of 50 basis point, uh, and there's no sign yet of the news loosening for the, for the terminal rate. So how is that going to affect the U.S. economy? We're going to have to wait and see. Ash, how's Ethereum performing? Ethereum price is also cooling, Marco, trading under just under $1,300, looks like $1,270 or thereabouts on my screen. Ether is down 3% over the last 24 hours. Nothing too exciting, but definitely not seeing green today. Yeah, no green. It's never green whenever Bitcoin's down as well, right? So um, let's jump into our top story. U.S. Senator, uh, US Senators Elizabeth Warren and Roger Marshall are introducing a bill called the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act. Uh, we know it's aimed at hindering criminal transactions in the crypto industry. It will also apply the KYC rules to digital wallet providers. Ash, what's your take on this bill? Well, you know, it's a bipartisan bill. This probably isn't shocking, uh, you know, given what we've seen happening in FTX. Obviously, there's a lot of concern, uh, particularly for folks who are not native uh, of the digital asset ecosystem, as most U.S. senators, quite frankly, are not. Uh, you know, it's still very early in the text of the bill. I suspect it's going to bounce around a little bit. So we're going to have to watch and see where it ultimately lands in terms of the final text. One thing I'm going to be watching, non-custodial wallets. These are wallets uh, that are controlled exclusively by users. Uh, I'm curious. There's some language in the bill about that, right? It's going to be really interesting to see ultimately where that lands, Marco. Yeah, definitely. Well, our next story here is seems that Kathy Wood is buying the dip on Coinbase. Coindesk, uh, Coindesk is reporting that ARK adding, is adding more coin shares to their portfolio. What's your take on that move, Ash? You know, my take on this is it's uh, Kathy Wood being Kathy Wood. We know that she's long innovation. We know that she's bullish on digital assets like cryptocurrency. Uh, and this move, I think, is quite consistent with that position. She's added another $3.2 million to her Coinbase holdings. Uh, not a huge amount, considering she's already got a big stake in Coinbase. I think it's worth approximately a quarter of a billion dollars, if my back-of-the-envelope math is correct. Uh, so, you know, she's bullish for the long term, and it makes sense that she's probably interested in expanding her position uh, at lower price levels. Let's take a look. By the way, I think it's uh, Coinbase was up... Uh, to a high of around $350, I think a shade below $350 in November of 2021. Looks like it's trading on my screen right now at 37 spot 63. So obviously uh, a significant decline in price. Uh, she's going to be lowering her cost basis by acquiring a larger position here at this point. 
Yeah, it's a huge position. A quarter of a billion dollars is definitely a lot of money, right? Sure is. <laughs> yeah, well, let's bring in our, bring in our guest, uh, Benjamin Cohen. He's a fan favorite of the Real Vision audience, and he's here to deep dive into the technical profiles of Bitcoin, the crypto markets. We may even touch a little bit of the macro with treasury yields. Uh, ben, how, how are you doing? Welcome, to, welcome back to Real Vision. Doing great. Thanks for having me. As always, pleasure to be here and talk with you guys. Awesome. Well, take it away, Ash. I'll be back for key takeaways at the end. Hey, Ben, it's always great to have you back on the show. I know you brought a lot of charts with you, as you always do. Excited to go and dive into those. But first, before we get started, Ben, how would you characterize this moment that we find ourselves in today uh, in the wake of the FTX meltdown? Obviously, legislation pending on the Hill. Lots of moving parts, speculation about uh, things like Binance and Genesis. Tons of stories happening right now. How are you thinking about where we are right now, big picture? I think it's a very uncertain time in the cryptoverse, and and it's often reminiscent of the year after a bear market, kind of going into the year after a bear market. It can be quite apathetic, and um, just it's just very very reminiscent of that type of a that type of a landscape. And I, I remind myself that it's during those apathetic times that the markets normally find their bottom. Interesting. So let's jump into the charts uh, right off the bat. Bitcoin dominance. Tell us a little bit about this chart and why it matters. Yeah, so we've talked about, I, t I bring this chart, I think, every time I, I come on the channel. And, and one of the reasons is because it's a, it's a really great way to understand where we are within the cycle, within the market cycle of, of crypto in general. And the Bitcoin dominance, if you, you, know, if you look at it on TradingView, of course, it, it's a bit lower, but that's because it includes stable coins. If you exclude stable coins, this is the chart you get. And what you'll notice is that you know, no matter what has happened over the last year and a half, basically since May of 2021, the Bitcoin dominance, excluding stable coins, continues to slowly go higher. So it's it's continuing to put in higher lows. Um, and, and, and basically what that means is on the on the macro side of things, the most alt Bitcoin pairs are bleeding, right? There's always a few that are outperforming, but over the macro or over most of them, they have been bleeding against Bitcoin off and on over the last year and a half. And so the, the general expectation for me and the reason why this chart is important is because I would normally expect a move higher by the Bitcoin dominance before the bear market is over. This is something we've seen happen before. I think we're going to see it happen again. And, and it's essentially a phase where the altcoins bleed back to Bitcoin. And going back to what you mentioned earlier with all these like sort of uncertainty around regulations, I think regulations are going to hit altcoins a lot harder than they're going to hit Bitcoin. Interesting. And by the way, we should point out, if you look at that dip, it looks like Q1 or Q2 of 2017. Uh, that enormous collapse is the ICO mania boom. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Going all the way back to 2018, you can see. And, and actually, if you carry this chart out, I think until uh, just a few years, those lines, so those we're putting in lower highs, right? So we're also putting in lower highs and we're also putting in higher lows over the macro scale. Um, and so I, I remain short to medium term bullish on the Bitcoin dominance, but then eventually we'll hit that top trend line probably and, and come back down for another for another altcoin season. But it's probably a, a year or two away. Yeah. And once again, that's net of all stable coins. Exactly. So let's move on to our next chart, the indicator dashboard historical summary risk raw values. Yeah, so this is a chart I, I, I find quite interesting because there's always ways we can create metrics to navigate the cryptoverse and various indicators to help us understand what's going on in the cryptoverse at any given time. But this indicator is a, is a risk metric that takes into account a lot of different data. It takes into account on-chain metrics like the NVRBZ score, the peel multiple, the peel multiple is a measure of, of minor profitability. It takes into account uh, things like 
the Bitcoin risk level itself, um, logarithmic regression charts, and it also takes into account social risk. And, and this is one of the charts that has kept me bearish throughout this year. And, and even back in the summer, we were talking, you know, we were talking about that back then that 17.5 was not likely going to be the bottom based on mostly one, one of the things I look at is this, this risk level. You can see every major cycle bottom, again, the blue line on this chart is, is the price of Bitcoin. The orange line is the risk metric. It goes from zero to one, zero low risk, one high risk. And you can see every single bear market, 2011, 2015 and 2018, we every single time we went down to that lowest risk band before the bottom was in. I look at it today and I, I remind myself, you know, we are sitting at a relatively low risk level, all things considered, just like we were basically at the end of 2014. But it doesn't mean that we are going to avoid a, a another leg down. So I, I look at this chart, it has kept me bearish. Uh, essentially since the first quarter of this year. And until we get to those lower levels, I I'm going to have to remain relatively cautious. I think if this is the great sort of Ben Cowan macro chart that shows the big picture view uh, of how you see the universe with all of your indicators baked in. Let me ask you this for a little bit of context. Uh, how strong has the correlation been between Bitcoin price and the overall risk metric uh, oscillator? Yeah, so it's a good it's a good question. I mean, if you look back to to 2019, 2020, it was a pretty low risk time, right? This is when I was making videos called like the accumulation phase of a lifetime and all this sort of stuff because I I was really anticipating a bull run. And the hard part is the 2021 bull market was sort of like a bull market that we haven't seen in crypto before. Because if you look at this metric, it actually shows that early 2021 was the top. Right. That's where it says the top was. And for me, that's where I took a majority of, of, of my own profits for this market cycle, because I, I just stick to this, you know, to this risk metric or derivatives of this specific risk metric was not I was not using, um, you know, back then I was using a different one. But I do like this one a little bit better. What you'll see, though, in, in, in that old risk metric and then this one as well, and a lot of other indicators is that basically says that April was the top right, or that February to April time frame was the top. November was sort of like a, a dead cat balance where technically we managed to put in a new all-time high, but arguably we've just been in a bear market ever since. And so, you know, right now, I think it's worked out pretty well throughout this bear market. You can see as the price continues to slowly step down, we've had this slow bleed essentially since November of last year, the risk level has been slowly going down as well. And so I think it's been doing pretty well so far. I think the real test will be once this indicator gets down to that zero level or close to it, how accurate will it be at actually calling the macro bottom? Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, let me ask you this, and, and this is probably the skeptical question. You know, you look at the metrics that you have along the top, they look almost like a 1990s old-fashioned stereo equalizer. When you look at all of those points uh, up at the top, and I guess the question sort of raises, uh, what happens if there's some, you know, an, a hedge fund in Asia that we're not thinking about that's not on anybody's radar that blows up, there's an unwind, uh, there's contagion effects. You know, to what extent 
do you feel comfortable thinking about that? Or how do you contextualize the risk of exogenous sort of failure in the system and how it looks at the endogenous variables that you're looking at here and that you've graphed uh, on this chart? That's a great question. And I, I think about that quite frequently because at the end of the day, these are just indicators are not going to tell you the entire story. One thing I have to remind myself of as well, in addition to these you know, random events that could occur, these indicators and, and this risk metric was developed during a secular bull market in equities right. when we had fairly cheap rates and everyone had access, uh, cheap access to capital. So as I'm, I'm a fairly risk averse investor, right? Like I, I've just been saying cash is king this entire year. I, I mean, and when I say cash is king, I mean the US dollar, I think is king this year. And what I'm, what I'm using this with specifically this risk, risk metric for is not to tell me exactly where the bottom is, but until we get down to those lower risk levels, which we've hit during secular bull markets, it's, it, I find it a, a, a non-useful exercise to put too much mental power in, in questioning whether the bottom is already in, okay? So for instance, right now, with the overall indicator risk at, at you know, 0.15 or whatever, wherever it is right now, it's hard for me to, to think that the bottom is in when this metric here has shown that we can go lower even when things are much better and we're not looking at the, you know, the face of a potential recession and we're not having the most hawkish Fed we've seen in 20 years. And you know, so, so that's the way I look at it. I say, once we get down to those lower levels on, on this risk metric, then I can start to think about the bottom potentially being in. The, the main risk beyond that, I think, could be like you said, you know, these, these other events that could occur. It could also just be a recession, right? Like this is the, if we go into a recession, which as, as the yield curve uh, suggests, this could be Bitcoin's first real recession. And so that's why, that's why I think it, it makes sense to be fairly risk averse. And for me, again, I'm only going to start assuming the bottom could be in with any, you know, with any strong likelihood only until after this gives us sort of that zero, zero reading. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I always admire about you, Ben, is your intellectual honesty and rigor with the way you look at this and understanding, uh, you know, what variables are not baked in the cake uh, to understand where that risk might come from. Uh, by the way, for people who don't know, it probably comes from your background as a with a PhD in nuclear engineering, you know, postdoc at Sandia National Labs. These are sort of very serious quantitative uh, pursuits. And so it's fascinating to me always to have you on uh, for this perspective, because there's not a lot of folks out in the charting universe uh, with that kind of a quantitative background. With that said, let's move on. Here's another view. Uh, basically, it's the indicator dashboard historical summary. This one's color coded. So essentially, we're just looking at the same data here in a slightly different format. Yeah, it's the same exact data. I just think it might be a little bit more aesthetically pleasing to look at to try to figure out where the general accumulation zones are, the deep value zones, and then where are the times that you generally want to be scaling out of the market? You know, it was very difficult if you if you think back to February and March, that was when I was mostly scaling out myself. Again, I didn't really scale out much in November because I'd already done it back in, in February, March, and April. Um, that was, it, it's always difficult because that's when everyone's telling you that it's going to keep going, you know, much, much higher. And, right. and it can feel wrong almost. And it, it almost feels like you're kind of against Bitcoin or, or something because you're no longer, you know, hodling, right, or, or, or something. But you have to stick to the data, right? And I, I always say, like, never let a good bubble go to waste. You don't know where the top is exactly. But once you see it, once you see these risk levels getting into those upper upper regions, I, I think it's time to at least start skimming out, right, is, is the way that I look at it. 
Hey, Ben, let me ask you to explain this just so people understand what they're looking at here. Uh, you've got price on the y-axis. This is Bitcoin that we're looking at, I believe, and it's semi-log y, uh, so that equal changes in uh, in in, durate, in distance re result in equal changes in magnitude and price. Uh, explain a little bit what the color coding means. Yeah, so going back to that last chart, if you think when it was going down to zero risk, so zero risk on this chart is just sort of blue, and the one risk is red, like really dark red. So if it goes to the dark red area, you're talking about really, really high risk. It doesn't mean that it can't go just a bit higher for a few more weeks or even a couple more months. It just means that that's the time you have to start thinking about scaling out. And when you get into the dark blue region, it's generally time to, to think about start scaling in. But as, as human emotion, oftentimes when we get to very low risk, we, we don't want to buy because we're always convinced it's going to go so much lower. And when it's really high, a lot of times we're convinced it's going to go so much higher. Yeah, I mean, two, two interesting points here. First, when you say zero risk, you're not talking about zero risk in the sort of a colloquial sense. You just mean on a zero to one scale. It's at the it's at the lowest ebb on that. But it's really striking, Ben, when you look at this, the, the, the degree of predictive power uh, that these risk metrics have. When you look at those red uh, lines, they're all at peaks. And the blues uh, really are generally, I'm just, I'm just looking here trying to mismatch it, basically at lows. Right, and, and you're, you said it correctly, right? There's no such thing as zero risk on anything. There's always going to be the idiosyncratic risk of any individual asset. It's just right. based on, it's based on historical indicators that have done a, a, a fairly decent job of, of sort of defining Bitcoin's prior ranges. Always remembering they were developed during a bull market. And uh, you know, this is gonna be the first time we're really gonna see how, how's Bitcoin going to hold up if, yeah. if, the, if equities are, are in a two to three year bear market. It's an important proviso. The only way to get zero risk in life is to define it operationally in an arbitrary index. Right, exactly. Okay, so let's move on to the next one. Indicator dashboard historical summary chart. Yeah, this is one of my favorite ways to, to look at the, the indicator risk. It's the same chart as the last one you saw. The only thing I'm doing is I'm only showing you the zero to 0.1 risk range, right? And, and what you see every, hmm. single, every single bear market, that deep value zone was eventually found. It was found in 2011, it was found in 2015, and it was found in 2018. You had to wait a while to get there, right? You sometimes had to wait 12 months, 14 months, but every single time we eventually made it to those levels. And that is, that, that is sort of the level for me, whenever we get to that level, is when I can start thinking about, you know, is the bottom in or not, right? That's when I would start thinking about it. And you can see we haven't, we haven't made it there yet, right. in the market. And, and this was also one of those indicators that's, you know, back in the summer, there was a lot of discussion around whether 17.5 was the bottom. This is one of those indicators that, you know, said it wasn't, right? And, and said that we could easily go down and put in a new low. And now we have. And now again, we have the same discussion, right? Is, is 15.4 the low uh, or is it not? This, this indicator would still suggest that we, we could have a bit further um, to ultimately bleed before, before all is said and done. We could also do this uh, with, uh, with, red, with the red peaks, I imagine, which would be interesting. We could, yeah, we could. Um, it would, it would show you, right? It would, it would show the exact opposite. It would just show you the, right. the the major peaks before us, yeah. Okay. Talking of which, indicator dashboard historical social mes metric risk number two. Yeah. So the social risk is something that I've only really just developed this year, and the reason I, I developed it or my team developed it is because, you know, I was thinking about well, how can we 
how can we capture retail sentiment, right? How can we capture retail interest? Because if, if the price is going to go up in a sustained way, you need to see like more people coming into the space. If, if people are leaving the space, that doesn't really support the idea of, of sustained moves higher. Hey, Ben, so, I know we've got a lot of repeat viewers uh, who probably watch your last couple of shows here on Real Vision with us. But for those who may not have, explain what social risk is measuring, how you're measuring this metric, because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, so it's measured five different ways, and it's weight, they're all weighted equally. So it, it's measuring YouTube subscribers to popular cryptocurrency YouTube channels, like new subscribers. Like it's, So it's looking at the, the difference, right, the delta. It's measuring YouTube views to popular crypto channels. And it's also measuring Twitter followers to popular crypto Twitter analysts, Twitter followers to layer ones on Twitter, and Twitter followers to exchanges on Twitter. And, and so by doing that, and then also sort of assuming there's a baseline increase of social interest over the macro scale as we have just, you know, one, like the adoption level from 2018 is going to be lower than where it is in 2022. So the baseline you would, you would still argue is going up. So what it does is it just measures that social interest, right? Like are people coming in or are they not? And when you, when you measure it like that, and, and again, you, you plot it out on a, on a, like a, and you look at it from a risk perspective from zero to one, in this case, from blue to red, right? You can kind of see where the low points are and where the high points are. What it shows is, and, and again, this time I'm actually overlaying it with the price of Ethereum. I, I can overlay it with the price of Bitcoin, but I, I find it actually gives a better, a better idea when you overlay it with the price of Ethereum. It, I, mm. I, I, it actually looks a bit better and it is a bit more compelling. Um, if you look at this, it's when people don't care when we're in blue, when no one's tuning into my YouTube. Sometimes I joke, like, I'm like, hey, can people stop watching my YouTube channel so that the social risk will go down, you know? Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I look at this and I say, well, when we, when we get to the, to the blue and, and no one really cares anymore, that's probably the, the, the time that you're going to get the best risk reward, right? And when we're in the red, when everyone's tuning in and wants to hear it's going to go higher, that's usually when you want to start scaling out. And so I, I look at this so and, and you could equate, if you kind of look where Ethereum is right now, the price, it's not, I mean, it's not, I'm not saying we need to drop 95% like we did back in 2018, but if you look at where the risk is, that color code, like that sort of that light blue and green, it's, it, and that higher lows, right? Putting in higher lows, higher lows. It, it looks, it looks very similar to mid 2018, right? That's what it looks like to me is that you could easily have a leg down. Note, I wanna, I, this is an important part I, I think it's worth pointing out. That leg down that Ethereum had back in mid-2018, Bitcoin was going sideways. That sort of that middle leg, Bitcoin was going sideways. And that would take you back to that first chart we talked about, what's gonna send the Bitcoin dominance up, right? It has to be if Bitcoin goes sideways and the altcoin market is dropping, right? And that is where the altcoin market drops. And what I notice is that the dominance of Bitcoin moves higher. It tends to move higher when the social risk goes below that 0.3 level or so. And right now it just dropped below 0.3 again. And you were noticing the dominance of Bitcoin has been moving up over the last week or two, right? It was at like 39% and 40%. Now it's at 41%. I think we're seeing, finally starting to see it go higher. And so this is just a sort of a way to relate those charts back to some of the ones we talked about earlier. Hey everyone, we're going to take another quick break and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Ben, I got a personal question for you. Is this published on a feed that you guys can programmatically pull, or are you and your team actually going and crawling YouTube to get this data? Oh, no. I mean, it's it's all programmatic. We're not, we're not manually going and getting anything. <laughs> well, nothing would surprise me with your level of diligence, uh, Ben. So let's move on to the next one. This is the Binance Coin Ethereum chart. Uh, what are we looking at here? Is this a ratio of BNB to ETH? Yeah, so I always think about where altcoins are valued with respect to Bitcoin and Ethereum. I, I consider Bitcoin and Ethereum to be the blue chips. So right. In so rising. Years, so when this chart rises, that means relatively stronger BNB, relatively weaker Ethereum. Exactly. Yeah, and 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 I always think about where these altcoins are with respect to their blue chip valuations. And I mean, I know I'm bearish on, I mean, I've been bearish on Ethereum, you know, basically this entire year. And I know that it might make me sound like a primer bear. I'm not. I'm actually very bullish on Ethereum long term. I just think we have to get through this bear market first and then we'll, you know, we'll, we can we can start talking about the bullish case again. But yeah, this this chart here is, is I mean, I know Binance coin is, is in the, a lot of people are talking about it right now and people are interested yeah. in it. If you look at the BNB Ether valuation, I was just sort of noting that we're looking at a potential double top on it. There is obviously there's a lot of FUD right now for for BNB. Um, if again, I don't, I have no insight into 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 you know Binance or anything like that. I I, I hope that that everything is, is is backed as they say it is. This is what my this is what my hope is. Um, but it, it's not necessarily going to stop people from from being a little you know, nervous for a while and, and people might not want to, to take the risk. And so and I look at this and I, I, I'm thinking to myself, there's a good chance here that the BNB Ether valuation is slightly overvalued. And you can kind of see that potential double top, not that dissimilar from what we saw back with, um, you know, Bitcoin USD in 2021 and a lot of altcoins in 2021 where they ended up putting in those double tops. So yeah, I think there's a good chance that, that Ethereum could, could outperform BNB for a little while. That doesn't mean that Ethereum is going to go up against the U.S. dollar. It just means I, I, I think I think there's a, a, yeah. a high probability that that Binance Coin will underperform Ethereum for for a few months. Yeah, it's interesting as we start to assess the altcoin risk. By the way, same chart as the next one, except for uh, Bitcoin. This is Binance Coin Bitcoin. So this is BNB BTC. Tell us what we're looking at here and what those uh, sloping lines, uh, trend lines up above the line represent. Yeah, so this is something I've I've talked about um, a little bit, and 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 basically the idea is in every single bear market, I generally expect altcoins to bleed against Bitcoin, but there's always a few that don't, right? There's always a few that outperform. BNB has been one of them, right? It's one of the few altcoins that has put in new all-time highs during the bear market. But here's the thing: it did the same thing in 2018. It was it was putting in new all-time highs in 2018 as well. And if you look actually just before the dominance of Bitcoin went up, it tagged the trend line for the second time, right? And so I think there's a good chance that we're, we're sort of looking at that sort of that second tap on the trend line where it's probably going to come back down, uh, you know, for the next three to six months. I, I'm not saying it's going to go, you know, 
99% down or anything like that. I mean, BNB's valuation of Bitcoin could drop 50% and it's still doing pretty well, all things considered for the bull market or for the, for the bear market. Um, but yeah, my general expectation is that the BNB Bitcoin valuation is going to drop over the next few months. And I think that'll also help support the thesis that the dominance of Bitcoin is, is trending higher. Yeah, it's interesting as you try and sort of tease out the overall trend with the proviso or the caveat that there are specific risks and reward profiles for individual altcoins uh, that map specifically to those projects rather than to the broader ecosystem. Fascinating point uh, and excellent to tease it out and good to have two different ways of looking at it, Bitcoin versus Ethereum uh, on that BNB ratio. So, okay, let's go to the next chart. The next chart is the alt season index. Uh, this is a busy chart here. What are we looking at? What's the red line? What's the blue line? Uh, what do those two Y axes represent? One thing I do want to say uh, before talking about this chart with the with the BNB stuff is that I also probably would have said I would have said the same thing two months ago and it and it continued to push higher for a little bit. So just mm. <laughs> keep, keep that in mind. It's really hard to time exactly when that that trend shift is going to occur. An uh, important I, disclosure. Right. Yeah. Like I probably something probably something I don't really need to say or should say, but I, I want to be honest. Like I would have said the same thing two months ago and it and it actually pushed a little bit higher. Um, so if you look at the, this is the altcoin season index. So what it's looking at is looking at the 90 day ROI of the top 50 cryptocurrencies. And it's, and it's essentially comparing that to Bitcoin. So when we're in the upper red region, this is called alt season, right? This is what everyone loves. And, and alt season is when altcoins as a whole are outperforming Bitcoin. The green region at the bottom is Bitcoin season. And that's the region where Bitcoin is outperforming the altcoin market. So what it, what the idea is when we're in the red region, right? When it's in the red region, we're in, when you're in alt season, that doesn't mean it's time to go buy altcoins, right? It, it probably means it's time to convert those back to Bitcoin, right? Because you want to plan for it going in the other direction. And in the same way, once you're in Bitcoin season in the green band, once you're in that season, that's when everyone wants to go convert their altcoins to Bitcoin. But by that time, you're probably better off not doing it because there's a good chance it's just going to go back the other way. You can see this chart. I mean, it ebbs and flows, right? It goes alt season, Bitcoin season, alt season, Bitcoin season. Remember, alt season does not always mean that altcoins are going up on their USD pair. Sometimes it just means that Bitcoin is going down and the altcoin right. market isn't going down as much. So it's, a relative, is, it's a relative performance index. It's the ratio of performance that you're looking at. Exactly. And, and a lot of alt seasons are, are, are different. I mean, look at, look at the alt season that this called for back in 2021. That was a crazy alt season where a lot of altcoins were going up a lot. But it also says we had an alt season a few months ago with the Ethereum merge. But I mean, this was just putting in lower highs. So not all, not all alt seasons are, are equal in, in terms right. of what your expectations of them should be. But what it shows right now is the clear trend. We're heading towards Bitcoin season is what this shows. Um, and, and that sort of is in, you know, in line with the general expectation that these altcoins, a lot of the altcoins still need to go down on their Bitcoin pairs. And once I see that, so once, once we go back to Bitcoin season, which is the direction we're headed and we're, we're there and we see Bitcoin reclaim some of that, you know, some of the market cap from the altcoins, once we see that, and then once we see us go back to some of those lower risk levels, uh, going back to the charts we talked about at the beginning of the video, I think we can start contemplating whether the bottom is in or not. But until we see that, it's like the last part of the cycle that has to, you know, that usually plays out. Until we see that, I, I think it's worthwhile to continue to be cautious. And again, my guess is that we're going to go down. We're going to go into Bitcoin season. At that point, 
a lot of people are going to feel the urge to convert their alts to Bitcoin. But again, when you're down there, you, you want to start planning for it to go back the other way eventually, right? So you, when you're down there, you want to plan for it going back the other direction. Okay, Ben, to quote Monty Python, and now for something completely different, let's take a look at the Treasury yield spreads percentage daily chart. Uh, first, let's give a little bit of context here, because obviously we've been talking about crypto native uh, indicators for the last uh, half an hour or so. And now what we're looking at here is clearly something in the capital market space, something in the macroeconomic space. Talk a little bit about this. We've seen, uh, obviously, with the lower than expected print on CPI, we saw a bit of a rally presumably on the perception of what that's going to mean for central bank policy uh, in terms of not tightening as quickly. We had a 50 basis point jump uh, yesterday, a 50 basis point increase uh, at the uh, Federal Reserve federal funds rate after uh, four, I believe, consecutive 75 basis point increases. Tell us what this means, what this chart says, and how you contextualize it in the broader context of Bitcoin and digital asset pricing. Sure. So there's this, you know, there's this treasury yield curve where we can look at various time frames. And if you want, you can go out and, and, and put your money in some of these in some of these different places and earn a yield. Right. And it's called like right, the, the risk free rate or something. Um, and, you know, for crypto investors, it, it, it often sounds quite boring. And like, you know, who's going to who's going to get out of bed for a four to five percent annual return? Right. Not, not a lot of people. But in a bear market, you know, four to five percent is four to five percent, right? It's better than losing eighty or ninety percent in the altcoin market. And so, sure. the reason the, the reason why this chart is important is because it's potentially showing something is coming that Bitcoin has not yet experienced. And that's why there's no such thing as zero risk, right? Like, and and this is one of the one of the main reasons we we can point to. If you look, there's only a few times in in history, well, maybe more than a few, but every once in a while, some of the shorter term yields invert the longer term meaning annualized of course you can see a higher yield on say like a three-month cd or something rather than the 10-year cd but so, it would so make first of all let me just because there's a there's a lot going on in this chart and i want to explain this to people for who don't necessarily uh, have backgrounds of following the u.s treasury market uh so what you're seeing here when that that line represents the spread uh, between 10-year yield and three-month yield Obviously, that's interesting. First of all, why did you pick that duration? Typically, it's twos, tens uh, that are used, but you're using a, a shorter metric on the on the short end of the curve. Yeah, so I have two on my website: the three ten and then the two the two ten as well. I think the two ten is also a, a pretty popular one. I, I personally find the three ten to be a little the three month ten year to be a little bit more mm. reliable and a little bit more predictable. Uh, the two year and the ten year. It is often a good predictor of recessions, but sometimes it might predict a recession that's like two years away, you know? So it's like, you know, mm. is, it, is, is it worth spending two years calling for a recession if if you could have still made, you know, done done some other other things during that time? This and recession one, is what those gray bars indicate, by the way, for people who aren't familiar yeah. with these charts. So the re recession is the gray bar. And what you'll notice, if you look closely, there's a line at zero. So that zero line, is where, so when it goes below zero, it means the three month has inverted the ten year, okay. Right. And the the thing with it, the thing with this inversion, is that essentially every single time in history, at least in recent history, right, when when the three month inverts the ten year or the two year inverts the ten year, and you see a long duration of that, and it's not just like a quick wick or something like what happened in '98, but if you see yep. like long duration of something like that, it's been a really good predictor of a recession. But the reason why the recession is important is because equities tend to bottom 
during the recession at the earliest. Now, there was one case, if you look at the last 100 years, I think equities have always bottomed during the recession. One case, and you can actually see it on the chart, they bottomed after the recession, and that was actually during the dot-com crash. But, you know, some things happened in 2001, which arguably is what sent us lower. But um, I, I remind myself that, you know, recessions, that's typically where risk assets bottom, like equities. And if we think about cryptocurrencies as, as, as risk assets in the same way, then you could argue that this could make the case for, you know, again, for potentially lower prices. And so that's why I think we have to come back to this. And I mean, look, recessions and earnings, if, if we see lower than expected earnings next year, that doesn't necessarily affect Bitcoin, right? Like Bitcoin doesn't have earnings and, and that sort of stuff. But we did get a very brief glimpse of how Bitcoin would behave during a recession. If you think back to March of 2020, wasn't the best performance, right? The Fed printed our way out of it. Um, but that's something that I, I think we have to keep in the back of our mind. Ben, magnificent analysis and so interesting from an educational perspective as well. Thinking about this holistically, some of the signs of risk, some of the signs of opportunity, really fascinating. Hey, let me ask you this. Do you actively trade against these indicators or manage your own portfolio from an investment standpoint based on these? Yeah, I mean, I, I look at all, all, this, all the different indicators and, and that's why essentially this year I've just said cash is king, right? Like everything just looks pretty bleak and I'm expecting most assets to, I was expecting most assets to fall this year. Hopefully we'll see things turn back around in the coming, in the coming, you know, six to 12 months and then no longer cash will be king. And then I can, I can start to make some, make some uh, risky trades again. Yeah. Let's pull in Marco uh, <laughs> back into the conversation. I know Marco has been diligently taking notes for our key takeaways here. Marco, what do you have for us? Yeah, I mean, that was a great conversation. I feel like I could talk about the, the key takeaways for another 10 minutes, right? You guys talked about the social metric risk. Uh, you guys talked about BNB's potential double top relative to Bitcoin and ETH. Uh, you talked about the altcoin season index. Uh, and, and that was really interesting to me because about converting altcoin profits during, you know, during a, uh, you want to co convert altcoin profits to Bitcoin during an altcoin season and convert Bitcoin to altcoins during a Bitcoin season, which we're getting close to. But I think what really stood out to me was probably uh, Bitcoin dominance, right? It's a great a way to understand where we are in the cycle. No matter what has happened since May of 2021, it's been continually to go, continuing to go slowly higher. Altcoin Bitcoin pairs are bleeding. And Ben is expecting a move higher by Bitcoin dominance before bear, the bear market is over. He also thinks that uh, that could also be because regulation, obviously, with all this stuff with FTX going on, regulation is going to hit altcoins harder than Bitcoin. Um, he, he spoke about the indicator dashboard. Right, and that that's keeping him bearish because where the risk level is at, every major cycle bottom, we went down to the lowest risk band before the bottom was in. So we're sitting at a low risk level now, but it doesn't mean we're going to avoid another leg down. Yes, these are just indicators, so they can't they can't tell us everything, and so they can't they can't account for like black swan events. But given that the metric has shown that we can go lower even with all the negative macro variables variables present today, like inflation or a hawkish Fed, you know there's still the uh, the risk that we can go lower now that we have all these negative variables present. And the last thing that he spoke about was treasury yield spreads. Uh, it's really interesting that he uses the three month versus and versus the ten year uh, because it see, he sees it as more uh, reliable and that it more closely predicts when we could see a recession. Uh, and recession is important because if equities bottom uh, and we see a kind of recession happen during this, you know, uh, during this period, you could argue that crypto hasn't seen the lows yet. So, anyways, those are my takeaways. Uh, what about you, Ben? Did did I miss anything? No, I, I think you basically got what I said. <laughs> Perfect. What about you, Ash? I mean, what can I say after that, Marco? That was uh, very comprehensive, uh, except that, look, at Real Vision, we're not supposed to have favorites, but when it comes to a chartist perspective on what's happening in digital assets, I always look forward to these conversations with Ben.
Yeah, and I should mention that Ben actually has a free just just started a free account, right, Ben, for your for for people on your website, so they can actually check out some of these indicators uh, and get signed up with you. For sure. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a question here. Uh, before we get to our questions, though, you know, please remember for our viewers, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit the notification bell. Uh, this question comes from Ralph. Uh, it says, why do you think FTT, the FTX token, is currently valued at 136 given the bankruptcy case? Let me throw that over uh, to you, Ash, first, and then maybe we'll get Ben's thoughts on it. Uh, no, no idea. The SAM coins have been uh, mysterious uh, for some time uh, now. I think it's reasonable to say. Uh, and, um, you know, look, I, I wouldn't want to be in the business of speculating about what's going on in FTT. I'm curious here if Ben's got any insights, though. No, not really. I mean, I, I, I remember looking at FTT when it was $22 and saying, I think it's about to capitulate. Um, and it, it looks like it's about to essentially go to zero. I, I don't think it's, it's much of a tradable thing for me. Um, you know, markets can stay very irrational for, for a long period of time. Uh, there, there are companies in the past that were basically essentially going bankrupt, but somehow people would still buy them. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't look too hard into it. I, I, I think eventually a lot of these are, are probably just going to zero. Yeah, I think yeah, it's I'm, definitely I'm, speculation. I, I was going to say that, like, I mean, we even saw before, like, when Luna crashed and all that stuff, that that people, you know, the the, the token pumped from the bottom, uh, you know, somewhat actually. And so I think it's just people speculating, like, hey, maybe something will happen. So. You know. Yeah, I'm looking at the chart right now. I, I mean, it, it looks like a uh, something of a of a of a. Um, I mean, it's just it's just at a, at a horizontal line here at the bottom, right? I mean, it's just it's just not moving. The volume picks up dramatically uh, around nine November, which makes sense. Uh, that's when the collapse happens. Uh, you know, look, I I I I personally wouldn't touch this with a ten foot barge pole, but uh, that's uh, that's not an analysis. That's just my gut reaction. Yeah, totally agreed. Well, that's it for viewer questions. Ben, Ash, thank you so much. It was a pleasure doing the show with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, that's it for today, everyone. If you're not a subscriber yet, don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you watching on YouTube, remember to subscribe and hit the notification bell so you can keep up with us every time we go live. Tomorrow, we talk macro and crypto with Rob Frasca and Sidney Powell. See you at noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London, live on Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Oh!